This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to All Elite Wrestling, an independent podcast. We're not here to suck on the teat of All Elite Wrestling. We're going to give you the real shit, baby. AEW, uh, Everything Elite. That's the name of our podcast. Couldn't think of it. Everything Elite. Don't be confused by the imitators and the haters. Uh, what? A, oh, yeah. This is how I normally. This is how I start every podcast. This is your first episode. It's how I start them all. So, get excited. I'm joined, as always. This is what I do next by Nate, aka Epitasis. What's up, Nate? Hello, Aaron. Hello, real EE Pod heads out there. Um, I was gonna do my my bit where I say no banter and then just move on, but you brought so much weird energy right off the top of the show. <laughs> that I feel like I can't just let that go by. Um, we're here to do a little teat sucking, not like full-on official sanctioned podcast teat sucking, but like the runoff teat suck, that, that's us. Yeah, I mean, the little milk that comes out, that's basically our Patreon. We get a little bit of the milk from the teat of AEW, but we uh, we still talk mad shit, so it's just what we do. On that endeavor, we're joined, of course, by Mike Spears, who looks... Fucking terrified to be here. <laughs> it's less that I'm terrified that you completely broke me within the first 45 seconds <laughs> of this podcast. Hey, y'all, it's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. Uh, this is uh, this is supposed to be one of our big shows, and we, we're less than a minute in, and we've completely lost it. So buckle in, guys. This is going to be a wild ride tonight. Yeah, it's going to be good. I've been uh, at a deposition for like four hours and I had to drive an hour back and forth both ways. So I'm feeling good. Everything AEW is our Twitter account. Check it out. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, ya. that's Fuji with two eyes like Don Fuji. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. Give us a rating and review if you're using Apple Podcasts app and uh, check out patreon.com slash everything elite, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But tonight on the show, we've got Elite or Delete. We're going to run down everything that happened on Dynamite on Wednesday night this week. And we're going to preview AEW's Revolution pay per view, which is coming up in just a couple of days this Saturday. Of course, it depends on when you're listening to this, when that is, but it's coming up Saturday, February 29th. We're going to preview it. We're going to talk ratings, but we're going to start with Elite or Delete. And as is customary, Nate, aka Epitasis, Give us your elite pick of the week. I didn't realize that was uh, had been formalized, that I was the first person to go for the elite or delete segment. But I will take that honor. My elite pick is the AEW brass hearing my complaints on this show last week about not getting enough insight into the Kenny Omega position in this feud between Kenny and Hangman Adam Page and the Young Bucks. And just not really understanding where he fit into all that. So they gave us a direct response to that, a sit-down segment, 
with the elite with Adam Page, Kenny Omega, and the Young Bucks, and good old JR, and just a great pre-tape segment. They're killing the pre-tape segments lately. Uh, you get the the Bucks motivation for the match in there. You get Kenny being split between them, but uh, you know shaded a bit by his uh, frustration with Adam Page being a total drunk. And then, of course, you get the superstar Adam Page uh, just acting up a storm in the segment was tremendous built the match great i think this is uh now my top most anticipated match on this upcoming show is this world tag team title match between the members of the elite yeah they really knocked this segment out of the park here i mean the awkwardness and attention was palpable to the point of big uh secondhand embarrassment mike spears over here just being like i don't think i like this segment for a while and then adam page just kind of just blew up said oh my glass is empty i'm out of here and walked off like a badass so i think they've done a great job building up this match that they really only had two weeks of hard build but you now have basically the last two months of like simmering build to this and then also i don't know how much we're gonna get into this on the show proper itself on the countdown special they did a great job of building it as well where you had the separate tag teams have sit down just straight straight into the camera interviews and the whole one with kenny and adam page where adam or page was just getting more and more frustrated as it went along and he stormed off because he was asked that they were asked uh, kenny are you concerned about page and he didn't get an immediate response it was like i'm out of here and then kenny was like i was going to say i wasn't worried but guess what i'm very worried and I think that that was just a great job, a home run from both the segment here and then the segment on the countdown special. So I think they're knocking out of the park here. I mean, all three title matches, I feel like between the like the three-hour block last night, I think they did a solid to great job of building. I mean, I think they did a tremendous job here, especially the sit-down interview. These sit-down interviews are usually the best parts of the program. So yeah, this is they knocked out of the park here. See, it's funny. I also loved this segment. I thought the Bucks were great. You start to see like a little slight heel turn from the Bucks when they're saying like, you were a jobber in Ring of Honor. You were nothing. We put you on being the elite and made you a star. We brought you in the Bullet Club. I mean, brutal stuff there. A little bit of a heel turn, I think. That's. uh, I I don't think so. I think it's consistent with their characters. Um, You go back to I don't remember what it was. It was probably a road to maybe a BTE before the big Lucha Brothers match where they were like, you know, all these other teams get their shine and people start talking about them and they people start forgetting about the Young Bucks as one of the best tag, tag teams in the world. And, it, you know, it sticks in their crawl a little bit and like, well, fuck that. You know, we want to show people that we're still the best. And uh, I thought, yeah, Matt Jackson did a good job conveying that and communicating. No, like we're competitors. Like we do, you know, the funny shit and the skits and all this. And we're friends with, uh, you know, Kenny and Paige here, but they were uh, intent on communicating. You know, we're competitors and we want to have the belts because we still believe that we're the best. And we think, uh, you know, the, the show should reflect that. I don't think they're actually turning heel. I just think that Adam Page is the baby face in this story. And the point of that was to make that clear. Otherwise, there's, there's, there's no point to it, in my opinion, except I- to make you start rooting for Adam Page. I think the Bucks have always been heelish. Like, that's a thing. Like, somewhat not like going towards a heel turn, but just the fact that pretty much since the whole Bullet Club thing started for them in 2012, 2013, they've been cocky heels, but it's just been the thing that, like, the Western fan base first into Japan and now the overall 
elite fan base get down with it. And it's not like that this is outside their motivations here. And it's just that Paige is just the very frustrated uh, uh, dad who just does, would not want anything to do this, constantly going to the uh, convenience store for cigarettes. And Kenny is just the kid there kind of waiting and saying like, what's going on here? What's going on here? So, I mean, they basically make Kenny the crux of the storyline going into Revolution. I think it would be really interesting to see how it plays out because yeah page has to be the baby face coming out of this but the bucks have been heels all along and that's something that i firm i've i've just firmly believe that they've been heels and it's just that the crowd because they always do heel actions always have heel motivations and matches and it's just that the crowd cheers for the heels i don't totally disagree um they don't do any i mean they certainly got over doing heel stuff like in pwg and new japan that was like a lot of the appeal of the Bullet Club, of course, and in PWG, you know, the 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 cartwheel, handspring, back rakes and all that sort of shit and just, uh, you know, leaning into it. And that's certainly what made them stars in the first place. But like the focal point of all their matches in this promotion had been like their babyface comebacks and Matt Jackson's rolling northern lights and shit. So they're pretty firmly faces, but I think we kind of get into the weeds trying to di- divine who the face and heel is in this promotion because it's not that important to the stories, I don't think. Or, you know, the, the promotion doesn't hit it so hard that it has to be a clear thing. But I do think it's interesting that Aaron thought that Paige is positioned as the babyface here. Because I think in the last week, two weeks, they've made him less sympathetic in the most recent stuff than he's been in the rest of the story. Starting with last week's BTE, or I'm sorry, starting with this week's BTE, and then with these pre-tapes, it seems to me they're, you know leaning more on the fact that he's letting his tag team partner down because he's, you know, feeling sorry for himself and, and drinking himself into a hole or whatever. So that's interesting. You know, he's still fundamentally likable because he's like, just like a very likable wrestler and guy. And he sort of projects that even when he's being like a shitty drunk. But I do think they've, uh, they've asked into that part recently. It was just the thing where he's like, this is the biggest accomplishment of my life. And you all, want to just step in at the very first chance and take it from me. And that to me is what establishes him as the baby face in the story as the guy you're supposed to root for, because it's like, yeah, this is a guy who was like a fucking high school teacher. I mean, if, if you know the whole story, if the whole story is baked into your head cannon here, then it's like, he was a regular dude. He was a jobber in ring of honor. They did make him a star by putting him on being the elite and, letting him come into the bullet club. But then he took advantage of that opportunity, became a star here in all elite wrestling and got this big accomplishment by winning the tag titles. And now the bucks are like, wait a fucking second. I know we haven't really beaten anybody, but uh, actually we should get the shot at your titles. And actually we're going to take them because we're better than you. So I, I think it's really easy to root for page. And the reason that's important, I think is just, there's been a lot of talk about like, is page turning here in this story. And I, the the reason I wanted to focus on this is because I think this tells us pretty clearly that nobody's really turning here, but Adam Page is going to be the good guy at the end of the day. Right. And I just think that Page's motivations are purely face motivations. He has natural resentment for the guys that after he told them, I want to go my own way. I'm, I don't want to do this lead stuff anymore. These guys are resentful for it. They're not honoring his decision. They're not being like, Oh, your own person. And that's something that I feel like that's been baked into almost everything about this is that the bucks are not like taking page seriously. And I feel like that's a natural frustration. And I think that's a very, uh, I, I think that's a frustration that 
fans and people can like follow and, and internalize because it's like, oh no, like people either like dismissing you or just disregarding your wishes. And I think that Paige here is is inherently like, well, even though he's someone who is drinking constantly, I don't think that's a negative personality trait. <laughs> okay, they're definitely casting it as a negative personality trait because he keeps being shitty to his friends. Um, but so, you know, I don't disagree with you, Aaron, that that's like sympathetic that, you know, he, he's got this thing that he's proud of and his friends are like, you know, uh, uh, putting him in a tough position about it. But in pro wrestling logic, it's not a babyface quality to feel sorry for yourself. It's not a babyface quality to want to keep the belt just because you have it and you don't want to defend it and you don't want to wrestle the best tag team and prove that you deserve it. That's not a babyface quality in pro wrestling. And pro wrestling, you know, the babyface quality is like, oh, I'll take on all comers. I'm a fighting champion. You know, I don't care what my condition is. I don't care what the odds are. I'll go out there with, you know, a, a fucked up knee and I'll wrestle the match and come out on top. Like that's the sort of fighting spirit kind of shit that traditionally works in pro wrestling. So I just, I, it just seems to me they're they're leaning more on him being a little shittier and a little more of a sad sack and a little less of a, you know, likable Stone Cold Steve Austin drunk just in this last week, two weeks. And I think that's something to keep an eye on as we move toward this tag match. I'm just saying as someone who feels sorry for themselves, you know, it's, it's relatable and sympathetic to me personally. All right, Mike, your elite pick of the week. Well, I feel like this is no surprise here. It's the Iron Man match, baby. I mean, I felt like that this is my now, I say it's not a couple weeks, but this is by far my favorite match they've had on TV. I feel like that this was a, in a lot of ways, the Iron Man match can be something that's overwrought and they just overbook it and they just make it into a ridiculous kind of farce in of itself. But they laid down the law very clear in this match. Like, okay, after each fall, we're pausing the clock and there's going to be 30 seconds recovery time, which makes sense because rather than have someone just like if you're playing like No Mercy or Day of Reckoning and you just like get the one DQ with the chair and then you immediately roll up for pens, it makes sense. And they really let that be a part of it. And Pac just, oh my God, just was willing to go for it in a lot of different ways and a very brutal match. And they, they, they came out of this match like really... This was a match that's supposed to be a rubber match and a feud ender, but both the guys came out of it, I think, looking incredibly strong. Pack, of course, can say, hey, you you only lost that first fall because I decided to get disqualified. And this overtime period, I didn't agree to this overtime period, and that can just fuel his righteous indignation. And then Pack was able to basically punish Kenny Omega for half an hour. But I thought this was just incredible work from both guys here. And even like the stuff that got a little overwrought with like the referee bump and then doing table spots. I feel like it worked well and the, uh, how they built up this match and this feud and especially for something that was been pretty much on the back burner, at least for King Omega, whereas Pac always really was the foot of this feud. And this has been his prime motivation. I feel like that this was a big way of kind of tapping into it. And I feel like they built this up very well. And I feel like that the payoff of this match is give both the guys motivations now you have the idea of Kenny Omega going into Revolution now, having wrestled 33 minutes three nights before, having like basically have two of those minutes being stuck in the Brutalizer and then chair shots being driven through tables. And then that fucking Falcon Arrow from the apron to the floor was just like a nasty move. And this was exactly 
what I would want from the style of match. And it kind of made this show in a way that you had the first quarter to 30% of the show tied up in this match. And it this match never dragged. And if anything, it gave like so much like energy boost for like the remaining hour and a half of the show that I like looked at my watch. I know I tweeted about this. I was like, oh wait, this was done really well because I'm still like super into the show enough so that I'm just going to keep my TV on TNT and watch Countdown right afterwards. I don't feel burnt out by this match at all. I feel like that that was a big worry going into this match is you could very easily burn out a crowd in this match, but it didn't. And I feel like that this was a great cat, the great start to one of their better episodes of TV they've had so far. On the point of match burnout, I do want to put over how well laid out all these television shows are. I really think it's remarkable. And and I think the degree of difficulty is probably underrated on it, but they are pretty seamlessly going from matches to, you know, sports entertainment segments to matches in and out of commercial without breaking like the energy or the stride of the show for the live audience and seeing that on the fight TV stream every week where, you know, it's basically like a continuous two hour wrestling program, but they're smartly setting things out and laying things out so that, you know, the, the, the big important things aren't being missed on television is kind of remarkable, but yeah, great match. Obviously, you know, people are saying Kenny Omega is back now. That's that's being said, or so I hear. Um, you know, he's he turned in some great matches already here in 2020. Um, and yeah, you know, these these guys are just so well suited for each other. Like they're really they're, you know, I, I don't know, like mirror images of each other or foils kind of like both undersized guys, one in the UK, one in Canada that went to Japan and basically is very young wrestlers, cut their teeth in Japan as juniors, learned that style. And then just packed on muscle to an obscene degree, and you know, before becoming stars in the West, basically. So even like Pac has the black hair, black trunks, and Kenny has like the blonde hair and pastel and all this shit. Like they really are well suited for like rivals in that way. And even just like th- their offense looks great each other. Like you don't see the Kreutz Wrath look any better than it looked in this match with Pac getting dumped on, you know, his giant fucking shoulders and neck on the way down, just like. A great series of very cool spots in this match, mostly. And it's cool that the one-winged angel and the brutalizer are easily, you know, flowed into each other. It's that sometimes can to me be really cheesy, where it's like one guy tries to hit his finish and then the other guy tries to hit his finish, but they could make it flow in a way that made a lot more sense because of their the similarity of their or not the similarity of their offense, but the way their offense meshes. So that was good. Yeah, this was obviously great. I mean, I love that. As uh, Chris Samsa, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, said this on Twitter, it was the very first disqualification in the promotion. So, oh, Nate doesn't totally I, So agree. I take issue with that. I saw that tweet. I kind of object to that because we can't really give them credit for waiting until now to do a disqualification when on the first show there was stuff that should have been a disqualification. They just didn't call it. Like, it's kind of a cheat, right? Like sure, they had John Moxley but... running in that match, and they're just like, "Oh, the match continues, whatever." So yeah, it's like, that was dumb. it you know, I don't really want to give them credit. We had a lot of distraction finishes on this show too, like the Darby thing. Um, there was another one; I, it doesn't come to mind at the moment, but kind of, you know, don't really want to give them credit for all the clean finishes to this point. I don't think it's that; it's just that there's an expectation that's set that like there's certain things you can get away with and certain things you can't get away with. 
And so I'm glad that, I mean, in, in New Japan, for example, you can hit somebody with a fucking chair on the outside of the ring. Yes. That's fine. It's allowed. And I'm okay with that. Like, I, I'm I'm with, like, the uh, what goes on in New Japan. I understand the rules, and I understand that when you're outside of the ring, it just really doesn't matter as much. And that's fine. But AEW set up at least this, that you can't just hit somebody with a chair on the outside. So. Yeah, it's it's good to see that there is some line, even though sure we'll we'll have to see if that you know they continue to adhere to that going forward. If that was just the only disqualification we see, because it was an easy cheat for them to protect somebody in a fall in this match, then it kind of doesn't you know feel that honest to me either. Yeah, I agree with that. the The other thing that I think is interesting about this match, and it's going to play into our disagreement about who the babyface is in this tag team feud, because Kenny is set up. To be the baby, well, it's set up in one of two ways, right? He can be a big baby face because he got beat down so much in this match. And obviously, and they mentioned it during this match, it's going to be part of the story of the tag title match. Him being able to put up with this, uh, taking the, the brutalization from Pac. And can he come back in this tag match? Or is he going to be so beat down that he comes up short in this tag title match? So I think that can play in one way or the other in this tag match. They set it up so he can come up short, lose, and then Adam Page gets mad at him for blowing his biggest accomplishment in his life and viciously turns on Kenny for blowing the match. And if Page does that, he'll be right. Kenny no. should have never taken no. this match. Kenny, Kenny is never sympathetic. Taken this match. He's, a fight, he's a fighter. He's a fighting mega no. campeon. No. And he went out there this... to go to war with Pac. No. In That's this what baby faces do. <laughs> Kenny Omega said that John Moxley was wrong for going and doing the G1 when he had this big match set up the, with Kenny Omega. Company. That's in a different company. No, he said that that John Moxley was wrong for not protecting himself in advance mm. of this huge match in Chicago with Kenny Omega. And now Kenny Omega did the same thing. So if Adam if they lose and Adam Page is mad about it, he's right. <laughs> okay, pretty good argument, but I don't you know. Pack put Pack put him in an indefensible position because he was, you know, killing Michael Nakazawa and menacing Riho and shit. So, you know, it was a lose lose for Kenny in that regard. He couldn't just continue to ignore Pack, or Pack might have come out and you know cost him the title at the pay per view. Who knows? This is real headcanon shit, but if that's how this story goes, it would be brilliant. It'd be so fun. Okay, I'll be. Uh, I got just a, a simple. You, you, you really just called your own point brilliant, just. Like yeah. If they do exactly what I said, then they're brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's clear. Uh, I got a quick one. Quick elite pick for the week. I mean, this was a really good show. It's another one of those shows where it's hard to find too much to be mad about. And my pick is the Painmaker Posse, baby. Because at first I was like, wait, they're already called the Inner Circle. Do they really need another name? But then as you kind of like watch the whole thing play out, it's like for this way in, it's like a joke about having your UFC crew for the weigh-in. They got the cool track suits. Uh, the, the logo that they made up is pretty nice. It's just like fun. I, somebody should have had a gold chain. That would have made it better. But other than that, I just really enjoyed it. It added a bit of levity to a segment, and we'll talk about the segment later, I'm sure, that could have been really dumb and bad, and it turned out to have this like perfect vibe and be a lot of fun. And a big part of it was the Painmaker Posse. Yeah, this whole segment, I love how they've decided that their go-home segment for each pay-per-view so far is just, 
let's just have a complete batshit brawl where everyone kind of comes out and it's absolute mayhem. The only way you're going to get some sort of resolution is if you go to BR Live and pay your 50 bucks and go watch the pay-per-view. Like, this was exactly what we needed. The Paymaker Posse coming out doing the Gracie. <laughs> they, 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 they all were doing a Gracie train on the way out there with Jericho. Just like all this pomp and circumstances happening when just moxley shows up in a cutoff hoodie and shorts and just like just like goes takes care of it and that's it whereas jericho just completely like burying kansas city burying gary michael capetta just just completely a master of what he was doing and then it it flowed in really well to this all-out brawl between everyone that had a feud with inner circle and it just paid off really well this was just a really smart thing and they really like having big blood in their final segment of a uh, of a show because now I feel like it's like the last three weeks there has been blood in the lot in the uh, go home segment. So I mean, this was this was an absolute great payoff. And of course, the most important thing is we don't know how much Chris Jericho weighs. I mean, he said he was getting in such good shape for this, but I mean, Moxley was able to do this. Like, could he actually be in the best shape of his career? of his career i mean we're going to spring training so many guys are getting in there in the best they're reporting in the best shape of their career so is that also the case of chris Jericho going to this title match i don't know all i know is that i'm in the best shape of my podcasting career you know i was uh pretty sick last week i had to drink a lot of Dayquil cool to to get going but i'm starting to feel better which i'm excited about i was worried i really so like I'm on about day 11 of being sick, but I, I'm starting to get better. Day 10, I was like, okay, maybe I should go to the doctor. But I was looking at my uh, insurance shit and realized that going to urgent care was about the same as going to the ER. I would have to pay like 100% of it straight up. And uh, I don't have a primary care doctor. And so I figured it would probably take me a while to get a visit with a primary care doctor, which made me think, I wonder, on average, how many days... People in this country have to wait to see a doctor. What do you think, Mike? How long do you think that takes? I have no idea. I think it takes forever. I know whenever I try to get into my doctor or try to get a new one, it is a month maybe. I want to say like I usually book like a month in advance. Well, buddy, Americans have to wait around 29 days to oh, see so a doctor. Oh, so close. I was yeah. right on the, I was near the dot. Okay. That's in, in major U.S. cities. Now, I've just been dealing with a cold. But if you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment as soon as possible. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. All you got to do is you grab your phone or your computer, you complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And the great news from that is if the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, then Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. Uh, with Roman, there are no commitments. You can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to getroman.com slash V-O-W for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash V-O-W for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. VOW like Voices of Wrestling, folks. It's easy. So getroman.com slash VOW. There's got to be a bit we can do here about how 
about Roman Reigns and the whole FTR thing. Right? Uh, yeah, there's got to be. We got to work workshop that a little bit for our next Roman ad read. Okay, I'm gonna think about that. Yeah, I just I, this time I decided to just go straight. Like this is a real uh, story about my about my healthcare. Yeah, no, and uh, you know I have noticed our friend Brian tweeting about like he has to get on a list to even make an appointment. It's like a waiting list for the care that he needs. Like that's right. So yeah, you know, uh, being able to cut that step out and get you know, some of your uh, immediate issues addressed through an online system like this and an appointment that way, you know, uh, a good little twist, uh, cheat for it. You'd love to see it. All right. Ratings for this week. AEW down slightly. You deleting things? Did we delete things? Oh, I didn't delete, did I? You didn't delete anything. <laughs> did everybody, nobody deleted anything, did they? No, 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 no. I, I oh. thought we were going to get back to deleting after you, oh, after we, we did right. that raid. I jumped the gun. I'm sorry, folks. Let's let's delete some stuff. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, let's get down to it. Nate, go ahead, buddy. Delete. Uh, so gonna... I'll delete um, basically a little bit of these revolution feuds and the the build here, kind of being a little paint by numbers. I'm referring. I, I referred earlier to the distraction finishes on this show. You know, you have Darby's feuding with Sammy Guevara, so Darby comes out during Sammy's match and grabs the sock full of baseballs and you know sort of costs him the match that way. You have this ongoing feud with like uh, the butcher and the blade and the bunny and the best friends. Uh, and you have the in-ring confrontation with Allie and Orange Cassidy that builds off the battle royal last week. Very fun little bit here, but it leads directly to the finish again. It kind of like a, you know, it's like a, a backwards ass uh, uh, distraction finish. And it's just this thing where I do like, I like having the characters bounce off each other a little bit. I like having Dustin Rhodes wants to come out to take out Jake Hager because he fucking hates him that much. That all computes to me, but it just feels a little bit like, oh, well, this guy's feuding with this guy. So this guy comes out during this guy's segment, and this guy's doing this guy. So you just have all these guys come out and do the big brawl. Just a little bit, you know, a little bit paint by numbers, a little bit rote, perhaps. Um, you know, something like earlier in the feud, you had John Moxley take those keys and stab him in Santana's eye and get away like, that's just a little bit more of a, a more fun, a more colorful kind of way to advance that feud, I thought, instead of just doing, oh, well, you know, they're going to brawl now. So that's what I, you know, again, kind of reaching here. Another strong episode uh, on this television program. But that that's sort of my, uh, my glaring issue, I thought. Well, I can actually respond to this and use it as fuel to mine. And you talked about how there was a lot of interference. It was kind of paint by numbers like this. It does feel like that the last things that that they added to this revolution show, like the build for a lot of this stuff has been very strong. Like Jericho and Moxley, you know how I love my beats. They've had beats nearly every single week going into it. Cody MJF, like they had their last beat. So we were at a point where it does stink that they weren't on the show, but you didn't really need them because you had that point and you don't need to have everyone on TV all every week, you know? And then you look at stuff like they basically decided oh wait packs over we need to find something to do he's going to have a match of orange cassie i think it's going to be incredible i think they will be the sleeper match of the night to be quite frank i they'll be much better than aaron bentley's favorite match on the show being dustin rhodes and jake hager just for the record and then you have this seu and dark order thing that yes that's been something simmering for a long time with chris daniels but they just kind of booked it with a with a random video cut in and it just was something that happened out of nowhere so if there's anything that I was really going to nitpick on the show, it does seem like that for this revolution build, the stuff that is 
firmly how it feels like is being presented as bottom of the card just kind of got a little bit uh, just wedged in here towards the end. Not that I'm complaining, but it's something that it does make you think of, okay, they can only really handle one, two, three, four, five things going on at the same time that, you know, with someone like Pac, who's been so consumed with Kenny Omega, you just wonder, could there have been something like building up to it? But I thought they did a good job of Orange Cassie for this. And I think it's, again, going to be a strong match on the show is just does feel kind of like they've wedged like these last few matches on. Yeah. So I think the, you know, the orange Cassidy and pack match, I think also is going to be awesome. I think the content of the segment where, you know, orange like takes off his sunglasses, signifying that he's getting serious here, here for a minute was a fun little moment there. But, and again, this is also doesn't probably matter because they built the top two matches really well. And those are the matches that matter. And those are the matches that sell pay-per-views. So you know, again, kind of nitpicking to complain about the builds for the lower card matches. But yes, yeah, so you're kind of, you know, just basically this Orange Cash is just going to walk out and make himself a match. You know, um, it's a little, little perfunctory. And they don't do pay-per-views every week. That would, or every month. That would be, uh, you know, more understandable if they did these shows every single month. But it's been three months since the last pay-per-view. So you could have planted a couple more seeds perhaps on something like that. Pack and Orange Cassidy had that really fun interaction in that six man that was on dark, I think. And, but, you know, we don't know that that has anything to do with this match that's happening here. This just felt out like, oh, Orange Cassidy is going to walk out here and get himself a match now. Okay, whatever. Yeah, I kind of don't think it is too much to ask because it's been three months. I feel like every match should have a little something to sink my teeth into. And, you know, shit, there was nothing for Cody and MJF on this episode. They had the video package that yeah, was that's partially. Not enough. That's not enough for like that heated of a feud. I but mean, what what could you really do at this point? Like they I don't had... know. Build your fucking shows better. I mean, <laughs> okay. Build it out week to week better so that you can hit your your peak here. Going, I mean, that's a match that should sell pay per views. So it is. Maybe you can't peak two feuds on the same show. Maybe that's a concern. They just wanted to give the shine to the world title match on this show, which maybe is the smart thing to do but the video yeah the video just didn't capture the intensity of the feud um you know well-produced video and everything but you just don't see the you know the blood feud that you want in a, in a big match uh, uh going to the pay-per-view like this so yeah it, kind of an, an unusual decision but maybe they just didn't have a great idea for it and they thought well if we don't have something great for it maybe better to do nothing and avoid bringing the feud down a step by you know uh, throwing a wet towel on it Let's talk about another wet towel. Here's what I want to delete. The fucking women's match on this show. This four-way match. And it's really indicative of how bad the women's division has become in AEW. I've been a big proponent, defender of the talent in this division, but it is being really poorly served by AEW right now. It's become a division that's reminiscent of the pre- Women's Revolution WWE in that nothing matters. The title doesn't matter. It's not built for anything. When have they ever built a big title match for their for the women's division on these pay-per-views? You get nothing. We got the world title match, the men's world title match, great build. The tag title match, great build. The women's title match, nothing. Not shit. They're just thrown together. And... It's been booked backwards the way we've talked about on this show. I mean, even this match 
was like a shitty WWE women's match. It was just like, I mean, the way it's agented was like, oh, how about if we just, everybody tries to roll each other up? That'd be fun. I mean, it looked exactly like a WWE four-way women's match. It was dumb. It served no purpose. Uh, I mean, it, it helped continue to build Sheeta a little bit, but I have no faith at this point that they're going to do something interesting with that in a way that's going to feel big and important later. And uh, I'm just worried that the women's division has kind of been cast aside like it usually is in American wrestling. And that's uh, just bad times for the women's division in AEW. Yeah. You know, I think you're probably right. I think, you know, the, the reality of the promotion to this point is you pretty much get one women's segment on the show or you get one women's match and maybe you get a, a, a promo package or a promo. And that's what we get as far as story or, uh, you know, advancement in the women's division in this promotion. And, uh, you know, it might just be indicative of how they prioritize women in this promotion. Because, I mean, I'm this, this is not the first time on this television show that they've brought out attractive women just as set dressing and being like, okay, pretty girls, you stand in the back. Bikini models, you stand in the back. And I don't know, it's very weird that the WWE basically treats women more equitably than AEW does. Because as you said, AEW certainly has uh, a top flight talent in that department, but they're not presented or marketed that way. Yeah, and I did get into a longer discussion today with folks about the women's division on the on the VOW Discord that I'm trying not to let flow into this match because I feel like a lot of my opinions of the women's division just it's something when you have this very chaotic maybe is the way way I want to put it piecemeal division in a lot of ways just because of some of it, it I don't think it's fault of the talent here I like to make this clear I think it's talent fault of whoever's in talent acquisitions talent relations uh whoever did the scouting that you have this kind of match and i feel like this match is very indicative of this because you have someone like big swole and ab you know how much of a fan i'm of big swole and how i feel like that big swole could really be one of the true stars of women's division as soon as she gets more experience and gets more comfortable on tv but how is someone supposed to like really get better on tv when you have like this kind of match where you have like two minutes of roll-ups that not a lot of them look good. And then you're like, oh, we need to go do some things to get people out of the ring. And then, oh, we need to have like this really terrible looking double team or this double stomp off the turnbuckle onto two people because, hey, you've got to eliminate these people. And it's something that like we're getting to a point now where we could kind of look at things over a 12-month time frame, especially with like the women they have in this promotion, the women they've introduced and. I don't know necessarily if it's putting people in the right positions to perform or that they just don't really have an idea of you have someone like Shauna who is, who is talented and has been a part of feuds like this, but this was probably one of her bigger positions here. I mean, functionally the women main evented uh, dynamite because you did have like the big go home segment, but this was the last match out there. And it was just like set up in a way that I think like was destined to fail and I think that goes again to like your talent related relations, people like knowing who you have and how to put these athletes in their right position so they could 
performing the best their abilities. And you have like Yuka Sakazaki, who has been someone that's been a very big bright spot of this promotion. And whenever she's been over here, she's been delayed. She's been easily one of the top five women in the division. And she's over here when you have something for her to do. Let's throw her into this this four-way dance and just kind of just exist in this. It just doesn't seem this was this was a match that was whoever was coaching or aging in this like set this up to fail. And then you you put people in position to fail. And I think that's what we got here. And this was just a terrible match. I thought the match was really fine, but just the division is not being put in a position to succeed. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, that's what it is, is and you like look at all the women who've been in and out of the company. And I think that's what boils down to. Is it a statement that the Joshi have been the strong part here? Is that a statement on the Western wrestling scene and how tapped out women's wrestlers are because of the massive amount of talent acquisition that WWE has done over the last six years? Like, is that an aspect of it? But then you have people who are younger wrestlers and don't have more than 200 matches who are put out here in positions to fail instead of being laying their growth foster. And I think like this, this match, it kind of was like a boiling over point with me about that. Yeah. The thing is, if you got two hours of TV a week and you're going to do one segment for women, you don't need that many wrestlers. You can build a compelling division around five to six people. So I'm not giving them a pass. I mean, it's true that WWE has tapped out the American uh, women's wrestling scene, but I'm not giving them a pass on that because they have enough talent to build a compelling division, right. and they've just ignored it. And, and they haven't, and the talent they have, they've not put in a position to succeed. Agreed. It hasn't really caused uh, much of an effect in ratings. We saw a slight drop this week for AEW, 893,000, But when you look at the demo, it's basically the same, 0.31, uh, down to a 0.30 this week. Uh, NXT, pretty similar story, down from 794 to 717 from a 0.25 in the demo to a 0.23. NXT was 17th in the demo on cable, AEW 9th. Uh, you know, this is this has become uh, pretty rote from week to week. It, it, the <laughs> biggest takeaway is just that AEW's new normal is right around 900,000. Right. And uh, they don't seem to be approaching a million anytime soon. Yeah, and it's they have not come close to a million since... Uh, the, the highest they've come close to a million was 967 on New Year's Day. And I think that this is the normal. And this is, I don't know necessarily how you bring in the new fans to this. And you comparing it to the rest of cable, I mean, NBA was back, a lot of news because of primaries. And the, the one thing that I thought was kind of interesting out of all this was Countdown was right after it. And it did a 0.14 and a 383,000 viewers. Which I thought was kind of interesting, just seeing how many people stuck around for that. I wonder if that's more than whatever uh, Michael Bay movie they put on afterwards. But I think that kind of tells you that whenever they get their third hour, it has to be a second show, even though that's what we were already suspecting. All right, let's run down what happened on Dynamite this week, at least that we haven't talked about already. Of course, it was the 30-minute Iron Match kicking things off. Kenny Omega defeating Pac two falls to one. Uh, importantly here, the Bucks were out with Kenny, but Adam Page was not by ringside. Uh, fall one is when Pac got disqualified for using a chair. Fall two, Pac hit the black arrow on Omega. Uh, time expired with Omega in the Brutalizer. 
And then Justin Roberts announced that the match was going to continue under sudden death rules. And then fall three, we got uh, Kenny winning with the one-winged angel. I think we've talked about this match at length. It's like, just have have sudden death built into the match if you're going to do it every time. Yeah. Right? They're obviously going to do it every time. Yeah. Although I didn't think the crowd it's was like into it. So, yeah. I, I guess you do it for the pop, I guess. But it's, you know, if, again, they're not really sports, but if they're pretending they're sports, like, you wouldn't throw to the back and have somebody make a judgment call. Hey, are we going to do a five more minutes here? Or what the fuck? <laughs> right. That's silly. After the match, we had Tony on the ramp with Pac. Tony basically says, uh, hey, you talked all this shit to Kenny, and then you lost, which is kind of funny. And uh, Pac asks Tony if he's taking the piss. Orange Cassidy comes out, and uh, as as Nate mentioned, he takes off his sunglasses, and Pac just lays his ass out, which we find out later sets up a match for Revolution. Yeah, and thank thank God, like, because after that match, they had to sell it as like, oh, shit, he was just in a fucking war. He's pissed off. He just lost. Like, if Orange Cassidy came out here and clowned on him, it would have killed Pac. So just thank God it, it was no. He's going to fucking brutalize Orange Cassidy, and that builds the match. Then we see Lexi Nair outside the Painmaker Posse's locker room. Jake Hager answers the door, and Lexi asks a couple of questions. Will we be able to speak to Chris Jericho? Hager says nothing and closes the door. <laughs> Just as a side note, I know you, you were mostly off, off the computer today, AB, but Nate, did you see the new... Inner Circle T-shirt that they put out today. I did the uh, Guns and Roses parody art. Yeah, yeah, no, it is really funny T-shirt. It's a really, yeah. They they have the whole uh, they have the whole cross with the skulls on it, both each their heads on it, and it's just a good solid solid parody T-shirt. I just I just thought they wanted to bring that up. It, it it made me chuckle a little bit. Guns and Roses is good. Yeah, I agree. Next up, the Jurassic Express defeated Sammy Guevara, Santana, and Ortiz. Jungle Boy pinned Sammy after Sammy had the sock. I said of quarters, but it, is it, does it actually have quarters in it? Baseball. Baseball. That's right. I knew it was something, and I was fucking it up. Anyway, Sammy had the sock of baseballs. Darby took the sock from him. We had a little distraction. Uh, Jungle Boy got the pin. I feel like they've kind of killed Sammy just in terms of pinfalls leading up to this match. I guess the heat is that, you know, he uh, broke – Darby's larynx or whatever. He just mm-hmm. eats a lot of pinfalls. I mean, just in general, I mean, he only got his first pinfall at the end of last year. So that he's been the lost post. And I mean, it makes sense. Of it. But I thought this was a fun uh, trios match. I think that Luchasaurus looks like he's finally fully back to 100%, which was something that like was really noticeable, at least I think over last fall. This is where they did the, the video recap of the Cody MJF story. Then we went right into the best friends defeating the Butcher and the Blade. Trent pinned the Blade with a strong zero, but it's the combo with the double foot stomp from Chuck. And uh, this was right after Orange Cassidy had this little interaction with the bunny. And then uh, he took out the Butcher with a dive. Poor motherfucking Butcher, motherfucking Blade, and motherfucking Bunny here. I mean, ever since they've come in, they've kind of settled in here and it was a funny little face off and then i think the post-match stuff easily was the highlight of the segment friend of the show Rawl accused me of uh wanting to come on here and, and be pissed about butchering the blade losing but it's like i was pissed when i realized they were slotted as like a bottom of the card team and now they just are so it didn't really strike me when it happened it seemed like where they're slotted 
After the match, we got Tony Schiavone with the best friends and Orange Cassidy. He announces that it's going to be Pac versus Orange at Revolution. Tony says the best friends are on a hot streak. Uh, Chuck gets on the mic. He says, Pac thinks OC. I said OC because I've typed that here. Pac thinks Orange Cassidy is a joke, but the joke is on Pac because this time Orange Cassidy is going to try. Very funny. Trent says, wait a second. Orange Cassidy hasn't actually said anything, so we don't know if he's going to try. But OC does give us the – I'm just going to call him OC. I'm just going with it. This gives us the uh, the thumbs up. I think this is the best they've done at getting the best friends character across on television here for sure. Yeah, no, this definitely had good, strong Chuck and Trent vibes. And, you know, just let Chuck have a microphone in, make sure he gets clearance ahead of time so he can say shit because we know that he desperately wants it. And I thought this was like a great way of kind of – Having a as much as this is wedged on the show and that frustrates me, I think they did about as much heating up as this match really needs. Not sure if well, we can talk about this in the revolution preview, but not sure are they trying to heat up the best friends so they can be the next tag challenger, uh, or we'll see, or if it's the SCU Dark Order story, but we'll see where that goes. Next up, Hikaru Shida defeated Big Swole, Shanna, and Yuka Sakazaki. Shida pinned Big Swole with her running knee strike. Then we got a Dark Order video. They said the Exalted One is here. And at Revolution, they're going to show SCU the true power of Dark Order. And Chris Daniels is going to find out why he is now obsolete. Yeah, so they continue to throw a lot of red herrings at us or presumed red herrings. Of course, we have the Matt Hardy reference here. Matt Hardy making references in his little vlogs. Um, We have a lot of teasing that new AEW signee. Lance Archer could be the exalted one because uh, uh, Evil Uno and the AW account did a lot of tweeting about everybody dying. So, you know, they're, they're continuing to keep us guessing. Lance Archer is announced for the next television. So it seems like if he was going to be the reveal as the exalted one, then you probably, probably wouldn't just announce that he's going to be on the TV coming up. So remains to be seen. And then, of course, you also had a Raven just sitting in the crowd uh, when the Dark Order made their last television appearance. So... I think they've done a good job at least establishing some candidates and mixing up a little bit just to get the speculation brewing, um, you know, uh, whether they'll be able to deliver something cool to, you know, capitalize on all that speculation remains to be seen. Yeah, no, I think that this is fun. I think it's been real interesting how they've kind of played the social game with this and it's getting to a point now where like it has to be settled soon or else it's just be built up, built up, built up. And then, whomever it's going to be. It's just a great disappointment. Well, you know, the Dark Order is basically trying to hire a boss, you know, trying to hire the main guy in the company. And, you know, it can be hard to find qualified candidates. It can take a long time. We've seen that in the story, right? We've been, how long now we've been talking about who the exalted one is going to be? Several months at this point. Yeah. Well, sometimes you just have too many applicants. Sometimes it's Lance Archer, it's Matt Hardy, it's Christopher Daniels. It's Raven. I mean, right. you have to do a lot of vetting of applicants here. Well, luckily for the Dark Order and for EE Pod listeners, ZipRecruiter makes it easy. And you can check them out at ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W, as in Voices of Wrestling. ZipRecruiter, Dark Order could have used this. They just, they just send your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites. Of course, they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. Absolutely. And 
Right. And, and they, like for Dark Order, they could have even added things that are specific to them, screening questions to the job listing so that ZipRecruiter could filter candidates out and just focus on the best ones. Yeah, if someone starts uh, is submitting their application to be the exalted one and they have less than three years experience, toss them in the bin. ZipRecruiter tosses them in the bin because you're looking for someone who has enough experience to lead an organization, and ZipRecruiter takes care of that for you. How effective are they? They are so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. We've been waiting around two months for, to find out who the exalted one is, AB. We... ZipRecruiter could have fixed this up, but like we would know on Saturday. Right. And that's why we know that the Dark Order hasn't used ZipRecruiter. But they should. It would, right. It would have just taken one day to get a quality candidate. Uh, and right now, the Dark Order and you can try ZipRecruiter for free. Our listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W. ZipRecruiter.com slash V-O-W. It's ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Next up was the, the sit-down that we talked about. Good old JR sitting down with Adam Page, Kenny Omega, and the Bucks. I think we've pretty much laid this out, but basically the idea was JR talking about how the Bucks are still the best team in a tag, uh, best tag team in the world. Kenny was agreeing. He suggests, hey, you know, me and Page were kind of thrown together. We kind of fell into this. Of course, that irritates Adam Page. And then the Bucks talk about how well Kenny and Page know them. They say they're uh, our best friends in the world. And then that's where it dives into this story about, you know, you're not the best tag team in the world. We are. We're going to take the belts. And then Paige says, hey, I wanted to leave the elite. Boom. After everything we did for you. And then it goes through the whole thing uh, that we've already talked about. But uh, as we said, you know, just really effective. But I'm it definitely got me more excited. I was already excited for the match. I didn't know the match is going to be good. But as we I think. You know, showed earlier when we we're trying to talk about which way this is going to go, it's suddenly much more compelling. I'm not sure what's going to happen, and I'm excited to see which way they go with it. All right, last on the show, the Chris Jericho, John Moxley weigh in. We got Gary Michael Capetta out to ring announce. Uh, he he tries to get Chris Jericho to get on the scale first. Jericho says, "No wonder WCW went out of business. The pain maker goes last, man." Great, great work here. Great line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mox does uh, jump up on there. He takes off his uh, sleeveless sweatshirt and gets on the scale, weighs in at 234 pounds. The Mox, the uh, one of the the ring girls uh, looked very impressed with Mox when he took the, the hoodie off. So, you know, Renee Young, I don't know if she was watching, but she couldn't have been happy. I did like the degree they went to to make this like a real actual weigh-in. Like, you know, that was the obvious intent of the ring girls was like, hey, this is what they do in the UFC and for boxing, so we'll do it here, which I understand. Um, but they they packed the ring with people. Like, you just had three random guys in the back like, oh, we, we're the, you know, officials or commissioners or whatever the fuck just to fill the ring and make it feel like more of an event. Um, you know, you had the crew guy there doing the scale. They had that big banner in the back, like a fight banner, which was, you know, awesome attention to detail. So, Appreciate them going the extra mile to make it feel like an event and not just like a, a, a show closing segment. Yeah, I was really worried about the segment when it was announced. Cause I thought this would just be very cringe and just been like, oh, we're going just going to do a weigh in because we've done contract signings before and we've kind of just doing all the tropes. But I think they actually embodied the whole like preposterousness of a fight week weigh in. I think they did such a great job as like Nate said. 
Then it was Jericho's turn to weigh in, and he just he did his whole gimmick where he kept kind of stepping up to the scale, but then he would pause and take one more piece of clothing off or one more accessory off, which played very funny, I thought. It was very well done. And then uh, you know, they were in Kansas City, and Jericho gets the mic and says, Aaron Mahome is a piece of shit, which still got uh, a lot of heat, even though that, of course, is not the name of the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback. Very funny. So uh, they attack Moxley instead of, of weighing in. They attack Moxley, uh, gets a little comeback. He, he bloodies Jericho, and then the inner circle beats Mox down. We get Dustin Rhodes come out. Uh, he clotheslines Jake Hager out of the ring. They fight through the crowd. They're in the concourse. Hager low blows Dustin in the concourse, throws him into the Dippin' Dots concession stand. Darby comes out. Sammy breaks Darby's skateboard over Darby's head. Uh, and then finally, the ring is cleared. We see just John Moxley and Chris Jericho in the middle of the ring. They exchange punches. Uh, Mox has Jericho set up for a paradigm shift, but Santana gives him a low blow. And then Jericho hits the paradigm shift on Mox on the scale. Okay, so we know the Dippin' Dots thing here was obviously a reference to the previous concourse brawl that we had in this promotion. Do we think that only this Dippin' Dots appearance was integrated advertising, or do we think both Dippin' Dots appearances were integrated advertising and they're just playing it slow? I think this is the second. I think that they did it unintentionally the first time, and then now for the second time, it was integrated advertising because it was very clear what they were doing this time. And I was like, okay. They made a big point of it. So a lot of embedded marketing going on here. Well, here's my question out of this segment. We were worried about this coming into this week's Dynamite. We were talking about, is there a way to get your two guys in your main event program in the ring for not a match, but something where you can kind of anticipate physicality happening? Is there a way to do that and be compelling? And I feel like I'm hearing from everybody that we thought this was successful that we enjoyed it and it advanced the story, maybe not as well as some previous things, but it let us get more excited for the match. Yeah, they knocked it out of the park here. I I love the segment. I thought that Moxley, knowing that he was over, that he was out, man, doing like the short headbutt into Jericho, busting him open, and was a really nice touch. And then just the way they kind of set it up that they we were teased the big face off, and then Santana got involved, and then Jericho kind of turning the tricks onto Mox. I think that was really well done. And I love me a big brawl to blow off the show before we go to the pay-per-view, baby. I think that that, that across that, like you heard the crowd of Kansas city, they were going bananas for this. Yeah. You know, I'll say they, uh, they didn't hit it out of the park. They hit like a double, maybe a triple between a double and a triple. I would say, you know, I, the, the segment was a success. Everybody came off. Well, you know, it didn't like, fuel a fire inside me where I got fired up and I have to see this match now. It was just like a fun segment to watch is where I would put it. All right. For dark. I don't, I don't know if they've announced how this is going to be aired. Like last pay-per-view, they just threw it up on Friday, but we don't know anything now, but here's what they taped for dark Luther versus sunny kiss. What a fucking match. <laughs> Britt Baker <laughs> versus Miranda Alize. dark order versus Peter Avalon and Michael Nakazawa. And the private party versus Brainer, Brandon Cutler and Sean Spears. 
on March 4th, the next episode of Dynamite. Obviously, no matches announced. They're going to be in Denver, Colorado. We'll know more coming out of Dynam- uh, coming out of Revolution. But Lance Archer will debut for the promotion in Denver. All right. Uh, before we get into the Revolution preview, and we'll do this quickly since we already did two ad reads on this show. But just want to remind you to go to patreon.com slash everything elite. The month's almost over. And coming up on Sunday, you're going to get our Revolution instant reaction. So it's a great time to subscribe. It's uh, We have $3, $5, $8 tiers. $5 and up will get you the Revolution instant reaction and everything else uh, that we, every other piece of audio that we post. And then we'll be back on Wednesday for AW Lite, which is our Dynamite uh, pregame. And it'll be really important this coming week because we don't know anything about the show yet. So we can't talk about it now, but we'll talk about it on AEW Lite. So come check us out. Give us a shot. Patreon.com slash everything elite. All right. Now we're going to preview Revolution. And we'll start with the top, baby. Who's excited? Chris Jericho, the champion, defending the men's world title against John Moxley. I want to know exactly one thing, and that is, who's going to win this match? I think the audience is going to win, Aaron. And I think that's mostly because this is going to be a million times better than the Ambrose Asylum match, which these two famously had in WWE, one of the worst matches of all time. Uh, And now you basically have two brand new performers, two guys with a fresh lease on life. I really do have to wonder how much I I would really like to get. I can't listen to talk as Jericho every week. I just can't do it. I just want to get like Jericho's real perspective on being in the wrestling business and his whole life working in every style of promotion, doing like, you know, basically shindies and ECW and working in Mexico and working for war in Japan, working for New Japan, and then working for WCW, which is like Major League, and then like going to the WWF and the WWE and like just getting into their insane system of scripting where you're like, you know, he has to go and sit outside Vince McMahon's office for three hours just to make his promo not suck ass. And then like now he's just like in a real wrestling promotion. I would just love to he must be loving life right now. Anyway, um, Chris Jericho wins. Chris Jericho's retaining. I'm making the call. Okay. I'm not that confident in it. <laughs> you don't sound that confident. In it. No, I don't. I just... Uh, uh, John Moxley ate a pin in New Japan on his last tour. He's their current U.S. champion. I don't think AEW cares that much about that. Like... I think they understand that, uh, you know, uh, uh, the fans understand him eating pinfalls elsewhere is not that big a deal in 2020. I just, uh, Chris so hot. And I don't know if Moxley would maintain that hotness if he's in the top position and he's not the underdog anymore. I guess, like, the big thing you have to ask yourself, or this is kind of two sides of the same coin, is what's next for Jericho if he loses? And who's going to be built up as Mox's first offense if Moxley wins. And I don't know if the, uh, the one side of the coin that Jericho, what Jericho is doing next is too uh, clear. I do know that there's Fozzie tours coming up soon and that does kind of temper my opinion. I think they start in April. So it does uh, this. I think that when I look at this match and how they've built it, this match is kind of the story of the first chapter of AEW. Started at Double or Nothing when Moxley made his surprise debut, and he took out both uh, Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho, and they've kept on going off it that the 
midpoint of this this like first uh, chapter was when Moxley defeated Kenny Omega in the Lights Out match, and now we have this. This is kind of like bracketing that this first year for the promotion as then they're going to go into the second double or nothing on um, Memorial Day weekend. I just think that Jericho has done a great job as a champion, and I don't know where he goes after the championship is done. Whereas with John Moxley, I feel like there's a lot of things you could do with Moxley as a champion now. You would be able to pack as an obvious person to be a first defense there if they're not going to have like the dumb Rhea match clause there. And then you also have people like Moxley versus uh, Hangman Page. That's something that I feel like is a natural title match. And I feel like you have a, a lot of opportunities there that you could build up. But I don't know. Like This is probably when I look up and down this card, this is the the hardest match to decide just because I don't know which way they go. I personally think it's going to be John Moxley though, just for the spirit of debate. I changed my mind. I think it's going to be Moxley too. Damn it, Nate. Um, I, just, I don't, uh, you know, I don't, Moxley has been the best protected person in the promotion to this point. So it seems unlikely that they're going to have him lose clean to Jericho. Who's, you know, taking pinfalls from Scorpio sky and almost taking pinfalls from Marco stunt and has largely been cast as a, you know, a wrestler who's a great wrestler, but needs his backup in order to escape those sort of situations. And I don't know that you want to do another fuck finish like you did in the Cody match where your big over baby face gets screwed over in the Jericho match. So I think Moxley wins. I changed my mind. So there's two things you don't want to do here. And one I think is that, but the other is, do you really want to start this promotion with your first two champions being WWE guys. I I've all, I thought all along that Chris Jericho made sense as the first champion because you could use him to give a rub to the next guy. Well, John Moxley doesn't need a rub and it doesn't help anybody. I mean, it, you know, he doesn't gain a whole lot by beating Chris Jericho here. Then what do you do with Moxley after this? Because he's going to get cycled down and he's supposed to be one of your big stars. Like I just well, seem- you can only have one champion at a time. I mean, you could say the same thing about Chris Jericho. Well, Chris Jericho has the obvious thing of that a Fozzie tour is going to is about to happen, so it's easy to de-emphasize him. You could, I mean, I, I don't know. For me, it's hard to tell who's the next challenger at all. Although, if I start booking it out, I think, oh, if Chris Jericho wins, this Omega Page thing blows up. That the guy who wins that can be the next challenger, and you got three months to build that. So I agree on that point, but that's going to be heel Adam Page getting his big elevating win over babyface Kenny Omega. Babyface setting Adam him Page, up right. for heel Adam Page against babyface John Moxley, which we haven't seen and I think would be a pretty good program. But Page has to beat Chris Jericho eventually in this promotion. That's his story. Uh, yes, but no hurry. No, no hurry, no hurry at all, but that is his story. Uh, it's just to me... The story of this feud has been that Moxley isn't smart enough to not get outmanned. So he will get outmanned in this main event. I think they shouldn't do a fuck finish to have Jericho beat Moxley, but that's the story they're telling. Yeah, that's that. I think that would be a rough uh, finale to your second big pay-per-view world title match. I, I, I don't know that I'd be received super well. But you're, you know, I don't. You're not wrong about what the characters of these guys tell us should happen in the match. Um, also, if that's what happens, your next program can be a rematch. 
and they can, it's kind of weird now because like the, the story that makes sense if they hadn't just done this is that this builds to a cage match that keeps out the inner circle. Right. Sure. So they can do some other sort of stipulation, but maybe that's why there's not an obvious next challenger is because we're going to just run this back. Or maybe just because they, you know, don't, uh, don't do as clear a job of uh, tiering people as, you know, like a New Japan does, where we sort of know who's in line, you know, until you get to an event like the New Japan Cup, uh, which never mind, was uh, canceled. But on your other point, I don't, you know, I was against having Chris Jericho and John Moxley basically feud at all because they're two ex-WWE guys who had a fucking terrible feud in WWE. But I, that just doesn't bother me anymore because they've been so entertaining on this program. So on that point, it, it wouldn't annoy me if Moxley was their second champion because um, he's a big fucking star. So It wouldn't annoy me, but this the guys who run this promotion are so sensitive to what people talk about on Twitter that I think they Mark would be logged shook. off. They logged off. Okay, but everybody else, I mean, it's like constantly like, Oh, you know, we hear your criticism. It's like, dude, it's 30 people on Twitter. Who gives a shit? No, so I, but I think Cody is also very cognizant of that. And is like, you know, you have to be aware of when it's 30 people, you know, uh, being erratic about whatever the fucking issue or when it's like, you know, basically everybody that watches the show go like, hmm, this Nightmare Collective thing is not really working. Like I, I think they have found a pretty good uh, ability to read that difference. Either way, I've got I got Jericho here. I just I don't see the point of Moxley winning at this point. He's the biggest baby face on the show that's able to win the title. That's your point. He's has a he's had almost a full year of feuding with Chris Jericho, and this is the mountaintop. It doesn't uh, it doesn't build anywhere. It's not compelling to me for well, John Moxley to win this match. You can't always build. At some point, you have to pay off and then rebuild. And just because we can't, you know, we can't come up with new stories for everyone, we have to hope that they have new stories planned for people. Because otherwise, you know, they're they're not doing what their obligation is. I think. But so just because we can't come up with where to go with everybody next, uh, you know, if Jericho wins here, that doesn't make it any clearer what they should do with anybody next. Uh, I, so, I mean, Moxley versus Pack is an obvious thing. They've They've had the feud and Pac is not satisfied and Pac's other big opponent is still like out there that is too busy with wow to have a tag team situation. Pac has argued that he's been the best wrestler in the world. There you go. You move on to John Moxley and Pac. I think that's a very obvious thing. And if you try to say WWE versus WWE, I'll come through the TV and throttle you because Pac's I mean, a dragon gate guy. It is, but Pac's the, a dragon gate guy. The clear story is that Moxley has to get Jericho one-on-one. -on -one. And he can't beat him because he's outmanned and he's got to get him isolated. And that is when Moxley can beat him and win the title. That's a compelling story to me. That does make sense for the characters. All right. Tag team titles, Kenny Omega and Hangman page, the champions defending against the young bucks. I know we've talked a lot about where the story could go, but I just think Omega and page are retaining. Yeah. No way. Bucks win. Kenny Omega selling the the brutal match he had with brutal uh, match he had with Pac takes the loss from the Young Bucks and then finally get the big moment here where Adam Page violently turns on Kenny Omega paying off what they attempted to do months ago at this point and separating Adam Page from the elite turning him heel 
setting up the Kenny Omega versus Adam Page feud that they set up on BTE also months ago. So, or they foreshadowed on BTE. It's really like um, that Kurt Vonnegut book, Galapagos, where they just spend the first like three chapters telling you exactly what's going to happen at the end of the book and then it all does. That's what happened in here is Adam Page as a heel, feuding with Kenny Omega, building him up for that next world title challenge. No, I think that this is an ongoing thing. I think that Kenny Omega and Hangman Page think Page and Omega. Page knows that Omega's hurt, that he's ailing after wrestling for 33 minutes, three nights before. They're able to persevere through this, and I think the Young Bucks snap. And I think this leads to a big stipulation match at Double or Nothing 2 because I feel like that that's a – they love running the elite or golden elite versus bullet club, like just like inner faction warfare thing. And I think that this is a storyline that they will be able to continue. And I think that that's the very obvious endpoint. I feel like this is just a step in the direction that I think that maybe it's a, I don't want to say fluky one, but maybe it's something that like they get out with the skin of their teeth and the bucks say, okay, you got the skin of teeth here we want to take you in Las Vegas and we want to take you in a ladder match because that's our match. And we're going to prove to you definitively that we are the best tag team in the world because you're going to come into our world now. I think that's what you do. Cause I think, and I think that's the best way to go through. I think that this match they've built it. And I think they've built it to a certain point where tensions are hot, but it's not like that they're going to completely blow up. So I feel like that you still have a lot more mileage in this feud. And I think that's an easy reason why the champions retain. I just don't see like, throwing these titles around again so quickly and, and changing. If we assume that Moxley's going to beat Jericho, I'd hate to change both my, my titles at, on the same night in this new promotion. Um, on top of that, I just categorically cannot fathom or understand why you would turn Adam page heel. He's the biggest other than Cody. He's the biggest babyface star in this company. Uh, that's why I disagree about uh, the even the Moxley thing that you said, Mike. It's like Paige is the biggest star. And turning him heel at this point, I think, is a huge mistake. Well, either way, you just said it. He's the biggest star. Kenny Omega, also one of their biggest stars. They've got a stock tag division. And they don't have a lot of clear singles challengers, as we just established, for the big belt. So Young Bucks win here so you can break up the tag team move these guys back into single competition where you can start giving them more meaningful wins, start making them world title challengers. And then the young bucks can start mixing it up, you know, again with uh, your private parties and your dark orders and all these other uh, teams who are not seeing wrestle matches. Cause there's not enough time on the show to, to give them real estate. Regardless, this is going to rule. I feel confident about that. Kenny's basically already told us that they're planning something very special <laughs> for this. So it's going to be great. The women's world title. Uh, our champion, Nyla Rose, taking on Chris Statlander. Uh, I'm sure this is going to be good, but I just cannot get excited about it. I'm very bummed. Well, you didn't get to see the great thing on Countdown to Revolution where they all were trying to tackle Chris Statlander's alien persona and all the other announcers were like, she says she's an alien. She, and then like Taz was like, she must have been into aliens as a kid. I'm not. And then Tony completely was like, she booped me on the nose and I was like, I was transported to another dimension. And that was like, okay, now this is a gimmick that I think is kind of cringe, but now they're kind of make, making light of it. But yeah, this is a match that 
still feels like it's wedged in there. Like I know that was something that I kind of heed and hauled about earlier on, but this title match is the epitome of being wedged on because they needed to have a title match here, and it'll be fine. Nyla should win. So yeah, I think Nyla wins. They, you know, she had that big promo and his being geared up, I think, to to run the division for a little bit here. But you know, to play devil's advocate, I guess the advantage of doing these rankings and these win-loss records all the time is you can have, if you're not going to go to the trouble of doing like a real build or whatever, you can just do a perfunctory thing like, well, uh, we're doing a title match. Okay, number one person plays, uh, you know, fights number two person. Like, it gives you that little out. And better to do that, I think, than to throw Big Swole into this match and make it a nonsensical Cracker Barrel clash again just because she happened to walk out on the stage. Like, that would be some, you know, goofy-ass booking. Like, oh, well, Big Swole came out. She's not in the top five, but she came out on the stage and confronted everybody. So now she's in a triple threat for no reason. That would be annoying. This is the preferable match to that, I think. This should have been the Nyla Riho match. This is where they should have blown that whole thing off. Yes. Yeah, Nyla's obviously winning this. Next up, we have Cody taking on MJF. I just cannot envision a scenario where Cody does not win this match. Oh, I can. MJF is a shitty person and he squeaks out a win. And now it's another thing that MJ, that uh, Cody has to overcome the fact that he had to go through all these trials and tribulations to have this match. And that's yanked out of him from like Wardlow getting involved or the ring getting used and something like this. Like that, this is not a foregone conclusion here. Aaron Bentley think this out. It is. He's already overcome everybody. This is the opposite of the Jericho Moxley thing. No, this is the ultimate test because obviously MJF's going to have tricks up his sleeve. I I think Cody wins because I think they're smart enough to book baby faces to be valiant and overcome odds and, you know, have great shine segments and then end up getting the best of their opponents. And, you know, uh, you said Adam Page is the biggest star. Cody's their biggest star. But, of course, you can't challenge for the world title. So, I mean, it would be interesting if Moxley wins the big belt MJF just is a holdover challenge, you know, heat him up just as being a shitty heel. He doesn't need to beat John Moxley or anything, but he can go on there and cut some promos on him and have Wardlow as his backup. And that'd be a fun little feud. I think also something fresh because we haven't seen Moxley interact with either of those guys. I'm sorry. Cody is the Sisyphus of AEW. He's going to constantly look like he's rolling the boulder up the hill. And as soon as it looks like that, the boulder is all the way up and it's going to be bounced just right. It rolls down and crashes on him. Like, I feel like that that's how they built up the world title match. I feel like that's what they built up here. And as long as the crowd is still invested in him, you could have the boulder crush Cody Rhodes as many times as possible. And uh, whereas MJF gets the win here, as Nate says, if, they're, if we're in the world where Moxley is world champion, absolutely you could run Moxley versus MJF. That's a complete fresh matchup. I think there's a lot of ways to go with this, and that's why I think MJF should be the one winning. Cody will be fine. I I just I couldn't disagree with that more. It's already hard, it's already hard to care about him because he can't challenge for the title. And I think he will if they oh do God. shit like that you, and they keep doing it. He you don't will care about win. the ace of the promotion. The title is a prop. He's the he's the embodiment of the AEW spirit here. And just because he doesn't you know can't challenge for the prop doesn't make what he does irrelevant. Yes, it does. The point of wrestling is to win the title. <laughs> the point of wrestling is to entertain the fans. Tell stories. So tell stories, Aaron. No, the point of wrestling is selling tickets, baby. Okay. You all know what we're fucking talking about. The point of wrestling (laughs) title. (sighs) Was in the in the World Wrestling Federation because he wanted to win the title. 
No, because Vince McMahon saw him at the end of the PWI 500 and said that I can make a star out of anybody, even the guy at the very end of the list. We're talking about the actual canon of the show. We're talking about what it what it means in for, yeah, to the no, character. I'm, I'm needling you. I'm, I'm aware. Yeah, and that's why I introduced the idea that Cody is Sisyphus. Well, Cody's going to be Sisyphus. Oh my God! Uh, Mike, uh, can you mark the mark the time down and delete that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, man, I thought uh, that you've done some lame things, buddy. <laughs> oh, just wait. It's gonna get worse. <laughs> Darby Allen taking on Sammy Guevara. I mean, yeah, Darby has to win. Darby's got to win. He's eaten a lot of losses. It's okay to beat him all the time, but this is his big blood feud with the guy who shoved a skateboard into his neck. Yeah, Darby's got to win. He's going to do a big coffin drop on him. It's going to be really fun. Yeah, this is kind of... I, I like how there's kind of like these like matches they've built up on this, like Darby versus Sammy, Pac and Orange Cassidy, that like these are like major stakes matches. Like what happens if Orange Cassidy beats Pac? Like that's a huge thing. What happens if Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen? Both of these guys need momentum. I mean, the, the truth about Ali wrestling is it's about competition, Aaron that you need to have these wins so i think it has to be darby because darby is someone as we've seen as a very singular character in the roster and i think that the that as seen through other companies there's ways to treat darby and there's ways not to treat darby and i think the best service to darby is that he needs to have a stepping stone win and this is a big stepping stone win for him he was not on full gear now he looks like he's going to be like in the fifth match on this pay-per-view and you keep on moving him up moving him up i guess next Next pay-per-view has the uh, Casino Battle Royal. I think Darby wins that, and you keep it building it up, baby. I think that this is the start of the rise of Darby Allen. I forgot to do the one planned bit I had uh, for Cody MJF. So on the on the Patreon Q&A, we were asked what Bernie should do if he showed up in AEW, and we had some great answers. You should go listen to that on the Patreon. But now I've come up with the best answer, which is before this match starts, but after the entrances, let me thank... Uh, Downstate for their music. <laughs> that was a pretty good Bernie you got there. Thanks. thanks. Uh, SB I... can unfortunately report that I have done that bit with about 100 bands at this point. <laughs> their house. Bless I'm, her heart. I'm glad to be in the uh, uh, Wind Trust Arena and <laughs> to be out here with the uh, Downstate band. Yeah, so Downstate is is playing Cody live. It's Downstate. No, it's Downstate. Down I thought it was down straight. Have we had this no. argument before? I it's just like it's spelled like it's spelled like S T R A I T. It's, so it's A I T. It's down state, but but not S T A T E S T A I T for whatever fucking reason. Who knows? Who knows? All right, the true main event of AW Revolution: Dustin Rhodes taking on Jake Hager. I don't really think this matters. I don't know. Like they've protected Dustin Rhodes, so I think he wins, but. You can heat up Jake Hager with his fucking Hager effect and just slamming his knee into Dustin's nuts. They really should have been playing up the fact that both these guys' finishes are hitting the other person in the balls because that's a much more fun angle than you know, what they've been doing to this point. Like, if it was this was about, like, hey, these guys like hitting each other in the nuts. They like doing Draymond Green, Shinsuke Nakamura shit, then I'd be all over it. As... Aaron has said this match is going to be terrible. It will go long, and it's going to be the uh, the drain on the show. I think that 
the nice thing about having Jake Hager for so long was that he was able to not have matches, and now we have this cruel, cruel fate of having to watch a Jake Hager match on pay per view. So I think this is the time where you uh, laid on out there. What's going to happen, AB, if this match is terrible as it will be, and will be longer than ten minutes, which it will be. This match is going to rule. It's probably the best built match on the show. Get out of here. It got second billing on the go home show of Dynamite. Proving how important it is to this card. It's uh, I'd say it's the make or break match of the card. Like if if this delivers, then it's going to be, you know, an all timer pay-per-view. And if it doesn't deliver, then, uh, well, I don't have to consider that because this is going to be a great match. (laughs) Very excited about it. Uh, I don't really care who wins because, uh, unfortunately, uh, Nate already did this bit, but the winner is all of us getting to see this. I mean, it's just, what a delight. The cold medicine has, after 11 days, completely killed your brain chemistry and you're just saying things because this is this is a match that, like, Dustin has proven that, like, he still can go, like, he's a great 50-year-old wrestler. But what confidence do you have in jake hager here at all there's no reason to have to be confident whatsoever before you even interject here because he's Literally trash everything he's done in this promotion has been great except he hasn't had to wrestle i i, I mean he's able to be six foot five and kick people in the balls it's easy to get over that way yeah he's been great at it he's going to be great at this if, you if they build this match five, around around the hager effect and him kneeing uh justin rhodes on the balls it's gonna be good if you know they just have to build it around that dude every every beat of this story has been about somebody getting kicked in the fucking balls it's gonna be about the balls that's not true this that's story not true is at all. breaking his arm in the car door that which is, not is his balls very similar to your like a dick your arm <laughs> similar to a dick right. you're, it was you're built done. around you're done that. the evening the our next match angle was a low blow next match here on the card oh, pack oh. from dragon gate representing uh uh I don't know. Mike Spears, Ville, uh, versus Orange Cassidy. <laughs> R.E.D., Real Extreme Diffusion. But yeah, no, this match is going to own. This match will be much better than the one that Aaron Bentley... Well, speaking played. of a motherfucker who hasn't wrestled in this promotion, it's Orange Cassidy. He's wrestled he in this has wrestled. He's been in a six-man. Not a yeah. singles match. Yeah, okay. and, it's, and Orange Cassidy is miles better of a wrestler than Jake Hager ever was. Jake Hager kick his ass any day of the week. <laughs> I think that I, how much day cool have you drank over the last two weeks? Like, let's get the, I, I feel like Aaron, that, did you, did you take down your Byleth wall scroll and put up a cult of Cornet certificate there? Is that what I see? I think that is Jake Hager is six, five. He played college football. He's a real athlete. And orange Cassidy is some dumb shit who just shoves his fucking hands in his pants. He's very smart. He had a very well-paying job outside of pro wrestling. Yeah, so did Britt Baker. How'd that be? Excellent. Also very smart and a great and a great highlight of the AEW promotion. One of the top acts. That's what this card is missing. Is Thank God. They, they even recognize it. They don't even put her on the fucking show. Very smart. Anyway, Pack versus Orange right. Cassidy is going to kick ass. Um, going to be fun to see the crowd react to him unleashing his full power for the first time in this promotion. In the buy-in match. Actually, no. I've, I'm uh, predicting Orange Cassidy wins this match. Because what we're all missing is that the next world title uh, picture is Chris Jericho versus Orange Cassidy. It's a brilliant match. You can throw it on dynamite. 
people will love it. That would certainly be very fun. Um, I, you know, it doesn't necessitate beating Pack, I don't think, but like they gave, you know, uh, they did Jericho versus Jungle Boy and Jericho versus Darby Allen without having to make Pack eat, an- eat another loss. So they can figure out some other way to get to it. But what would you guys open with, Darby and Sammy? Yes, exactly that. Yeah, that 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 makes most sense out of all these matches. I mean. It's either that or pack in Orange Cassidy, one of those two. The buy-in match, SCU takes on Dark Order, and presumably we find out who the exalted one is. Well, either here or on the you know, an upcoming television shortly thereafter. Who, yeah. who who's it gonna be? Who we got? I think uh I think they I think they try to mislead us with Christopher Daniels here, and the finish of this match hinges on Christopher Daniels revealing his true allegiance which is probably to SCU. So I think that's uh, that's what we get here, just to advance that story a little bit and and eliminate one possible contender for the Exalted One. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't think we actually get the reveal here. Yeah, I think that we are getting close to it, and I think that they have are doing things where they eliminate the red herrings that they presented. So they'll eliminate Chris Daniels as a red herring this night. In Denver, they'll eliminate Lance Archer, and then you have something to do on the 11th. And I think the big reveal is going to happen on 318 in Rochester, New York, when it's going to be formerly known as Luke Harper as the leader of the Dark Order. That's my pick. It's a good pick. Good off the board pick there. Good I like swerve. that. All right. Well, I think that's it. You guys got anything else you want to chat about tonight? Uh, nope. I think that's all I got. If you are in the South Carolina area, your primary is on Saturday, the 29th. Make sure to go out and vote. I've been for out Bernie there. I, I, yes, for Bernie Sanders. Uh, <laughs> I've been out there canvassing. I'll be going out there canvassing tomorrow slash yesterday slash today, according to when you listen to this. So, yeah, make sure you go out there and do this. I, you, If you've, yeah, I, I was about to bring up something about registration, but registration's been closed for a month. So Yeah, yeah. And, and remember, if you don't live in South Carolina, you can text for Bernie, you can call for Bernie. It's very easy, and it's, like, affirming when you do it. I also, if you live like vaguely close to any Super Tuesday state, they're going to be doing a lot of stuff this weekend. If you have the ability to get there, then, you know, I would recommend it. If you go on BernieSanders.com, they have lots of trips you can take from all over to uh, a lot of the Super Tuesday states. So I would recommend it. And if you want to hear talk about doing that, Aaron Taub and I did so on the last episode of The Aaron's on the Patreon. So you can check that out when he went to New Hampshire. All right. So uh, follow us on Twitter at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, yeah, those are all spelled out on the everything AEW Twitter account. Make sure you're subscribed, rating and reviewing five stars only patreon.com slash everything elite. And make sure you check out our friends at getroman.com slash VOW, where you can get a free online visit and free two-day shipping and our friends at ziprecruiter.com slash V-O-W where you can get a free trial of ZipRecruiter just by using that code. So that's it. I'm Aaron for Mike, for Nate. We'll see you next week. Okay.